Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. When I was there going through that surgery, you don't know whether you're going to come out of it or not, but I knew if I don't come out of that, I'm living somewhere else. And as Paul said, it's a better place. One day we all will face that unless the rapture comes. So Jesus says, I know what you're suffering. I know what you're getting ready to go through. I've already been there. I can identify with it. Besides that, even if you have to die, it's okay because you're going to live again. He's reminding them and giving them hope in their life. It's easy to fill our lives up until they're brimming over with commitments and activities. But how much of it is really necessary? We may feel that our schedule is filled up with important events and necessary engagements. But if we're still at the center of it all, we may still feel empty. Life is rich when you're serving others. As followers of Christ, we should be thoughtful in addressing the needs of others. As we'll hear today, Jesus has a lot to offer when it comes to ministering to people. In fact, he has everything to offer. The Messiah faced all of it, from temptation to persecution to torture and then death. He knows how to help. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 8, for part one of our message entitled, Fearless. story about a California highway patrolman had pulled a car over and he told the driver that because he had been wearing the seatbelt, he had just won $5,000 in a random statewide safety competition. The patrolman said to, to the man driving the car, what are you going to do with the money? And the man responded, well, I guess I'm going to buy a driver's license. <laughs> From the back seat, a woman yelled, Oh, don't listen to him. He's always a smart aleck when he's drunk. <laughs> this yelling woke up the guy in the back seat who took one look at the cop and moaned, I knew he wouldn't get far with this stolen car. <laughs> and at that moment, there was a knock from the trunk and a voice said in Spanish, Are we over the border yet? <laughs> Now, those are losers. <laughs> We're not going to talk about losers tonight. We're going to talk about, about winners. Let's turn to second, excuse me, second Revelation, chapter 2. Chapter 2. And there's only three verses in this letter. Some people have called it not a letter, but a postcard. Let me begin with you with a true story from... K.P. Yohannan, which we minister to, we ministered about 130 missionaries alone, this church does, helping them every month in India. I've never heard anything like this. In the village of, and I won't go through all the villages, border in India, 50 tribal families came to know the Lord. These are very simple but God-fearing people who heard the gospel and responded to Jesus, who forgave their sins and set them free from bondage. In the midst of such joy and celebration, the two-year-long persecution that had swept through the state 
of this uh, particular locality had reached their village. The village chief, along with some outside agents who had fueled the persecution, rounded up these 50 families and told them, you are not allowed to live in this village anymore. And these new Christians hurried to pack their tattered clothes, pots and pans, and a few other belongings, and walked away from everything they knew, owned or loved. Like refugees from a war zone, they trudged out of the village, along with the elderly who could hardly walk, little children, pregnant women. As they were leaving, the village chief told them that they would be allowed back under only two conditions. Payment of a 500 rupee penalty per family, plus they would publicly have to deny Jesus Christ. But not one of them returned. They walked until they finally crossed over the border into another state of India, finding shelter under trees in the jungle. K.P. writes, I thought about the suffering and hardship that these tribal believers are going through just to survive and find a place to settle down. They are so new to the faith, having just come to Christ. None of them has any theological background or has had a chance to attend seminars or retreats or Bible studies. They have never even heard about some of the elementary truths of the Bible, much less the complex issues of eschatology with its pre, mid, post viewpoints. In fact, I doubt any of them even know the books of the Bible yet. In fact, most of them must be illiterate. Then what made them walk away from their huts, fields, friends, and relatives? If you ask them, this is what they would tell you. We are walking away because of one reason, Jesus. This is not new. We come to an interesting church tonight. I titled the teaching tonight, Fearless. But the church, the picture of the church, is the suffering church. Let's begin. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, this is near Ephesus, about 40 miles actually north of Ephesus. It was a beautiful seaport. It was one of the most beautiful cities in Asia. In fact, some people say in those days it was was the ideal city on earth. In this city were temples to Zeus and Apollo and Aphrodite and others. It was the hometown of somebody you're familiar with, Homer. It was a place of learning, of science and medicine. It was called, Smyrna was called the crown city or the flower of Asia because it was encircled with flowers and hedges and myrtle trees. They talk about that particular town with streets of gold, kind of just outlined with, on every corner was one of these temples. It was just a beautiful place. It was a gorgeous place to be. It was very, very prosperous during this time, and exceedingly so. Now, Smyrna means myrrh, frankincense and myrrh, remember? And myrrh is a bitter substance used in perfume and normally now, even in those days specifically, anointing of dead bodies. It is obtained, interestingly enough, from the bark of the myrrh trees after being crushed. That's when the essence comes out. So the picture of myrrh, bitter, suffering, and crushed, is exactly the picture of the church, Smyrna, what was happening to these people. It gives us an idea, like India, what was taking place in those days. So Jesus, in his letter, addressed to the church there, 
he begins to say to them that he's going to know what they're going through. It is a suffering church, and we're going to see all of the things. Jesus grades them. He gives them a report card, just like we did with the church at Ephesus. And what you're going to see tonight is that these people, we don't know there was 5,500,000, we don't know how many people, how many Christians were there, but as they were crushed with persecution, the fragrance of Christ came out. The beautifulness of standing firm under persecution came out. Now, why were these Christians suffering? Well, they were suffering from two groups. The first group were Jews. In this town of Smyrna, there was a tremendously large population of Jews. Now, as you well know, through the New Testament, often we find the Jews causing great problems, persecution to the Paul, to the apostles, to many of the Christians. Well, it didn't differ here, even though this was in another area of the world. These Jews opposed anybody that worshipped Christ. They were causing much of the suffering and persecution. But secondly... In this Greek town, there was a tremendous area of Roman influence where Roman emperors were worshipped. Now, under Domitian, which is an emperor worship, it was made compulsory for you as a citizen to worship the Roman emperor. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, here's what it meant. Every year, every citizen would have to burn incense on Caesar's altar. And as they burned that incense, they would have to say this, Caesar is Lord. When you would say that, you would be given a certificate that showed you on this day, which would expire in a year, you have said, you have offered a sacrifice, and you have honored this Roman emperor. To be without the certificate in town was to begin to risk discovery. People would find that out. Eventually, persecution, leading, as we'll see tonight, finally to death. Now, in contrast to Ephesus, which today is really a desolated area. Jesus said, I'll remove my lamp. In contrast to this city, Smyrna today is the third largest city in Turkey. Its modern name is Izmir, I-Z-M-A-R. Because of the great harbor there, this is where Aristotle Onassis has his fleet. So it's a very, very popular town. Just a modern, beautiful city. We might have had this meeting at dark. You certainly wouldn't have driven your car. You would have come quietly, without light, to try to meet in here. We might have had just a couple lights here. Why? We're trying to meet in what? Secret. Because your life may be threatened. We've never gone through that ever in our life. And that brings us to the church. And brings us to the church. What were they going through? They're suffering today because the Muslim. Different, but same principle. Let's look at verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Jesus is reminding, remember now, and we'll share with you at the end who this pastor was, the pastor would be just like we're doing here tonight. He would have come in, some home or numbers of homes, and he would have read the letter, three verses, to the church. So that's what I'm going to do tonight. So picture yourself there, in that town, under great persecution. And here's the letter that Jesus says. He says, I'm the first and the last. 
Well, what does that mean? He's identifying his character, the eternal one. So that's giving you some encouragement because it's from the one who is all-knowing, all-powerful, and is always with you. So Jesus then says to them, who died and came to life again, he says to them basically this, I can identify with you. I can identify with your suffering. That's why I came to the earth. I can relate to you. Jesus says to the suffering Christians, I've been there before. There isn't anything you're going through that I cannot relate to. Now, how do we know that? Just write by that verse there, or if in your notes, you can write this. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. It says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So the first thing is that Jesus says to them, I'm the first and the last, I'm the eternal one, who died and came to life again. Who died? In other words, I know what you're facing. Because they were facing actual death. He says, I know what you're facing. It's good in this day and age in which we live, for you and I as Christians to be considerate, spending time being sensitive to people's needs. You see, we have different people in this body that visit the hospitals even. And they go and they minister to people's needs. You see, life is rich if you'll serve. Life is poor if you just serve yourself. And it's a time of giving. And so Jesus said, well, I came. I suffered. I know what you're going through. When I get a call from somebody specifically in this church and they say this, I'm getting ready to go through open heart surgery to join the zipper club. I will always, if possible, visit them in the hospital before they go undergo surgery. Why? Because I know exactly what, I show them my zipper. <laughs> I know exactly what they're going through. Isn't it good to have somebody, when you're hurting, can say to you, been there, done that, God's still good. Well, that's what Jesus says. I've been there, I faced death, but notice what he says at the end of verse 2. I came to life again. Praise God. By the way, there is no other religious leader in the world that can claim that. Buddha can't claim it. Any of the leaders of cults can't claim it. They're dead. They're gone. Their bones are dried and gone. They can't find them even like Adam and Eve. They're gone. They're just gone. They never were raised to life again, but Jesus was. So he says this. Because of this, remember what Jesus said back in the book of John, John chapter 14. You can write that down. I'll read it to you. He says this, starting in verse 17. I'll start in 16. And I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. He's left the Holy Spirit. He'll be our comforter. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. When I was there going through that surgery, you don't know whether you're going to come out of it or not, but... I knew if I didn't come out of that, I'm living somewhere else. And as Paul said, it's a better place. One day, we all will face that unless the rapture comes. So Jesus says, I know what you're suffering. I know what you're getting ready to go through. I've already been there. I can identify with it. Besides that, even if you have to die, it's okay. Because you're going to live again. He's reminding them and giving them hope in their life. Now, 
Jesus then is saying to them, basically, this is the first of their report card, faithful in persecution. A, there was no compromise in their life. Let's look at verse 9, which tells us a little more about it. Now I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews, but are not. In our synagogue is a very bold statement, a synagogue of Satan. Now, not only are they faithful in persecution, which we'll see more later, but they're faithful in poverty. The word you see in verse 9 for no is the same word we talked about last week, oida, which means this, 100% complete knowledge. Not like, mm, I think I have an idea what kind of things you're going through, but it's 100%. And so Jesus says, I know exactly what you're going through. You see, that's why he came and lived, so he would know what you're going through. Whatever you're going through tonight, Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. You said, if you understood what was happening in my marriage, Jesus wasn't married, he couldn't know that. Yes, he does know it. He knows exactly. Now, it's interesting because there's two real words in the Greek for poverty. One is kind of just just barely making it from, from week to week, you know, paycheck to paycheck, we would call it today. But this word is a different word. It means abject beggary, total poverty. If you want to write something in a code outside that word, you can just write a circle, zero. They had nothing. He says, you're doing fine, you're faithful in that. Now, I told you at the beginning that Smyrna was an incredibly successful, rich, prosperous city. How could these people have nothing? Absolutely nothing. Well, here's how. You remember during the times of Hitler, when the Jews were in Germany and Austria, what did Hitler do to those people? He would come in and they would find out that they were Jews. What would happen to their businesses? He'd take them. What would happen to their families? He'd separate them. What would happen to their homes? They'd destroy them. What happened to their ability to work? They couldn't work. This is exactly what was happening. In this society, when they were notified and people would squeal on them, and by the way, you're going to see later who really does this, basically the Jews, they would go and say, there's one, never bowed to Caesar. Now, also remember in this city, remember one thing, it's filled with idols. Now when you have idols, is there any kind of businesses that go along with idols? Well sure, you make the idols, you make money, you make the coins, you make all of those things. Remember that from the book of Acts. So, are you going to be allowed to work there making a coin? Would you work there making a coin to a false god? No. So as time went on, these people lost everything. Their families, their homes, their jobs. This didn't just like happen, boom. This just, over time, they just kept losing it. Now, see, it's easy for us to sit here and go, hey, big deal. Well, wait a minute. This is incredible. You don't just like wait till tomorrow because your check's coming. You, you have nothing. And you've been used to having a lot. You see, when I, when I go to India, it's not unusual for abject poverty because that's what they're used to. They're lucky if there is rice for tonight. But these people are in a rich area and their neighbors right next door. And if you've ever visited some of these cities like Mexico and some of these other places, you know, you'll be staying here in a $100 a night hotel room and you look out your window, like the back window, it's incredible, isn't it, what you see? Slums. Well, that's it. This is what's here. Now, Jesus says to them, 
You're suffering. I know you're suffering because of the demands of Christianity. Could that ever happen here? Hmm. I want you to put that in the back of your mind. Because I believe it could happen here. And I believe every day we're inching closer to that. Where we're going to have to take a stand for Jesus Christ. Notice what Jesus says. Look at that verse again. He says this. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are what? Now you want to circle that verse because there's wrong teaching. I'll use that general term tonight. It's called the prosperity doctrine. And some of you may be into it. Get out of it. It's not from God. See, the prosperity doctrine, I don't know what they do with that verse. You're in abject poverty, but you're rich. And I was listening to one this week. They're filled with our television. I thought it went by the wayside. It has not. And it's a devastating, ungodly doctrine. Listen what this individual said. She said this. Prosperity is given to us because prosperity comes with a mission. God wants all of us to prosper so we can minister in our prosperity to him. Now that sounds good. What did Jesus say to this church? Well, I guess you can't be much use in this town because you're in abject poverty. Is that what Jesus said to him? He says, no, you're doing an awesome... Their report card is all A's. You're doing a great job. So when you hear people say the only way that you can be useful in the kingdom of God is you, if you have money and prosperity, just turn to this verse, circle it, and go, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. And you say, why do you make a big deal out of it? Because so many Christians are devastated by that false doctrine. Don't go there. You see, Paul said, I learned to, I learned to be content whether I had lots or whether I had what? Nothing. Nothing. God knows. Don't go there. Don't go there. What is Jesus saying? How could he say they're rich? How could he say they're rich? Well, listen to what 2 Corinthians 6.10 says. It says this. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. This isn't new. This has been talked about before. If we are ever seeing a day where I believe we're in danger in our country... It's today. Let me read you a verse. It comes from Matthew. Excuse me, Luke. It says this, The real good life has nothing to do with money, wealth, or things. Here's what Jesus said. Then he said to them, Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And yet, what do we have in our country today? Every popular program has one word in it today. And what is that word? Millionaire. Would Jesus agree with that? No. You see, this world continues to change the price tags. We don't know what's valuable anymore. It's got to have dollars with it. So many diamonds. That's what, that isn't what value is. Remember, guys... When we leave this earth, we leave 100% behind. At the start of our study today, we heard about the importance of God's eternal character and how He can relate to our temptations and struggles. We were assured that as Christ followers, one day we will live again because He lives in us. 
Through persecution and poverty, the church at Smyrna was encouraged to remain faithful just as we are to remain faithful through trials. A real good life has nothing to do with things. Facebook and Twitter have become a regular part of our everyday lives, and we want to be sure to encourage you to check out our Facebook page and Twitter feed. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links. You can find information about everything that's happening at Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Again, to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our Twitter feed, log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time on Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark will speak to the danger of storing up treasures here on earth things that will rust, decay, and turn to dust. The only treasures worthwhile are those that will matter in heaven. We'll also hear what Scripture says about living outwardly as a Christian and not inwardly. There are many traps that can snare believers, appealing to our flesh to pull our hearts from the Lord. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through the book of Revelation. That's next time on Lessons for Living. 